It is an active time in the life of the church. A lot of ministries are getting up and running. As you heard in the announcement time, we've got a lot of things that are uh, underway and getting underway. We invite you to be prayerful over those, to participate in those. Many of those things impact your family as well. We've been talking about over the month of August the importance of prayer, and so this idea of prayer walking our entire community. I heard from somebody recently who said, you know, this prayer walking thing is actually not that hard. I'm just, I've already got a route that I walk my dog. I already have like my wrist. It's like, yes, that's it. It's not, it's not difficult. Uh, and as you go, you're asking for God to bring his blessing in those places. We've given some resources on that. We trust that many of you are already underway. Uh, tonight, as was already mentioned, we're going to be gathering for our Living Waters service. And so that will be right here in the sanctuary, 615. We'll spend a little over an hour together doing some prayer, walking in the building. We will also have options for those who aren't as mobile that they can be kind of hunkered down here. You can be our home base and praying for a variety of ministries as we get started. But God is on the move. Uh, last Sunday, we celebrated seven people who were getting baptized. How awesome was that? Some of you guys are even here today. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, that is, the, that is the fruit of God working in people's lives. That's what we pray for. That's what we lean into. We don't always see what God is doing, and yet we have the joy at various times to celebrate the fruit of his work. And so that's the kind of thing that we're going after. One of the things that I'm excited about among many, many ministries that are getting started is we actually have some new things that are starting uh, this year. This is the first year that we're actually doing an ESL class here in the church. I don't know if you're familiar with that. English is a second language. Uh, but what an awesome opportunity for us. And so I asked uh, Aiden, who's our outreach pastor, and he just said, look, we're excited to launch this conversational English class for international students and, and individuals. Join us in praying that God would use this as an opportunity for us to share the gospel with folks from all around the world. There's actually a table in the lobby if, as you leave here today, if you want to just stop by and see kind of what's, what's happening there, who's involved, and if there's a place for you to be involved with that as well, we would certainly welcome that. So that's happening with the ESL, lots and lots of other things things that are happening. A um, little bit of context for you. In uh, these last weeks, we have been talking about prayer. It felt appropriate for us uh, to sort of take a break from what we were doing and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And we frequently do that. And so over six weeks' time, we're spending some more time in this area of prayer. The first two weeks, we were talking about prayer and mission. And there was a lot of, you know, let's go. You know, the, the fullness of God's presence, the fulfillment of God's mission. What is it that he's calling us to do? Sort of getting excited about a new season. In the last two weeks of this series, I'm going to bring a couple of messages really focusing on prayer and courage. I want to really put fuel on that fire where we began. But over these two middle weeks, I've really sensed the Holy Spirit saying this is very important for us. In fact, I would suggest that these two middle weeks of this series may be for some of you the most important messages that you will hear all year. Because I want to talk about the reality of prayer and hurry. One of the great challenges that we face in our modern fast-paced life is that we don't know how to slow down. This message, and next week as well, will build on this idea of the fullness and fulfillment principle we talked about last week that introduced uh, this idea that when in the fullness of God's presence among us. It is out of that fullness that we operate. It is out of that fullness that we see fruitful ministry that happens. But how do we get the fullness? How do we understand what it is to be there? Well, we have to get slowed down for greater fullness. The bottom line is that in prayer, we learn to come to Jesus and to cast our burdens upon him. So when we have said over this series already that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, well, then we got to be able to pray. 
Because if we're ambassadors for Christ and we're disconnected from our source, it makes no sense at all. The definition of ministry, we talked about bringing Jesus to the world in the ministry of reconciliation. Last week when we were talking about this fullness, fulfillment rhythm, we said there is no fulfillment without fullness. We have to be able to pray. We've got to figure this out. I was listening to a message from Tony Evans. He was talking about prayer. He said, listen, when we pray, we are bringing heaven into history. We are bringing eternity into time. This is important and big stuff. Here's the bottom line. We will never develop a deep prayer life from a posture of hurry. How many of you have had the life experience to say amen to that? It just doesn't work. And it doesn't mean we're not busy people. It doesn't mean we don't have a lot of things to do. In fact, you'll, you'll hear in these next couple weeks, I value efficiency. I value hard work. I challenge our team. We want to work hard. We want to go after this stuff. But you are never going to develop a deep prayer life from a posture of hurry. John Ortberg, who is uh, an author that I highly respect, he defines hurry as excessive haste or a state of urgency. It's linguistically related to words like hurl, there's a fun word, or hurdle, or hurricane. That's a word that has been in our headlines here recently. This idea of a state of frantic effort in response to often fear and guilt. How many of you know what that feels like to just say, like, man, I'm just way too hurried? It's, it's probably the most common response when you talk to people of all ages and of all vocations and everything, one of the most common things you hear is, I'm just, I'm just super busy. I just, I, I just need more time. And I'm going to argue to you today, it's actually not that you need more time. It's that we need to understand the rhythms of Christ just a little bit better. He needs to teach us. We need to go to school. So I was about 10 years into ministry myself when I began to understand a nagging truth. And this is kind of how it was articulated to me. I was not living my life. I was hurrying through it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like I'm not living my life. I'm just like every day it's like another rendition of the day before or the week before or just like the mad scramble to get things done, the appointments you got to be at and all the places that you need to be. And I started, I'm not living my life. I'm hurrying through it. And I was not alone. My pastoral colleagues were all seeming to be on this same treadmill. They were running to meet the needs of people, because that's what we do in this profession. They were running to feed the machine of ministry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Oftentimes, and then the farther along you go, you start to realize, oftentimes this was leading people to burnout. It was leading to crashing and burning, leading to moral failure, and a host of other bad exits from this profession. So I started getting concerned because I'm looking at this idea of ministry and I'm seeing all of these exits off the ministry road and a lot of them are bad. And a lot of your lives have been impacted by somebody having a bad exit from ministry. But we pastors were not alone. It seemed that everyone was running just a little too fast. Everyone was doing just a little too much. And as I said, I'm in favor of working hard, but it wasn't just a busy schedule. It was hurried souls that I was seeing, and it's hurried souls that we oftentimes see in the church. Also, I also came across this song. We'll test who is the country music fans in the room. The song is by Alabama, and the chorus says, I'm in a hurry to get things done. 
I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and... Oh, man, we got some fans in the house here today. Yeah, so I came across that song. It's like everybody's talking about this challenge of hurry. And I would read things like our scripture today, which is Matthew 11. If you have your Bibles, flip over there. And I would think that perhaps Jesus didn't really understand what life 2,000 years after he walked the earth was actually going to look like. How arrogant and stupid is that? Maybe Jesus just doesn't quite get my schedule or your schedule. But the more that I looked at his life and the more that I looked at his ministry and the more that I began to see what other people, great men and women of faith, have noted over time. And to sum it up best, I would look at somebody like Rob Reamer, who's a more recent voice, and he would say this, that Jesus lived a busy life, but he did it with an unhurried soul. I don't think there's any way that you're going to get through life without having seasons, at least, of, in, of, of busyness. I don't think busyness is actually the biggest issue, but it's having a busy and hurried soul. Jesus lived a busy life. He did tons of ministry, but he had this unhurried soul so that it, when you look at his mission, uh, you slow down and you start to think, Lord, what would it look like for me to pray like Jesus? What would it be like to learn from him? And one of the things that you start to see when you begin to do this, it's like I started 10 years into ministry, I started trying to learn some of this stuff. I'm still learning, right? And many of you are as well. But here's the thing that you start to see. Jesus actually had time for people. He was super attentive to their needs and their stories. He paused to address people like the woman at the well. What a story that was. Uh, he, he paused to address the questions of his disciples, including, Lord, teach us to pray, and even when he came across things like a height-challenged, greedy tax collector hanging out in a tree, he not only calls him down for some life change, but he says, come on down from that tree. I'm going to go to your house today. Like, who does scheduling like this, right? I just found a guy in a tree, so I spent my afternoon with him, changed his life around, you know what I mean? That's, that's the kind of stuff Jesus did. Matthew 11, uh, we're going to look at a handful of verses here, uh, in, starting in verse 25, Let's just read a couple of these here this morning um, with, with sort of a fresh heart to the invitation, and then we'll address some stuff with our own hurried souls as we get ready for the communion table. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from wise, the wise and learned, or learned. I like learned better. And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand that invitation a little bit better today? Already as I look out on this group of people in front of me, I see some heads that are nodding. 
and some people that are saying, man, I, I, I'm feeling a little busy right now. And I'm also hearing and sensing some people saying, that invitation from Jesus sounds just like what my heart needs today. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to find that by your grace in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Praise the Lord for his divine help. So today, here's what I'm going to do as we get ready for the communion table. We'll just look, look at three things. The problem of hurry, the better solution, and then this is a really intriguing thing that the Lord gave me sort of late in the preparation, but I think really important for us, and that is the power in waiting. And we're not just talking about you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1-8, we preach that all the time, wait, don't go, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Like that, that's true, but we actually see this expanded to multiple experiences all throughout Scripture. And so the Lord, I think, has given some of us that as a little key here today. The problem of hurry is where we're going to begin. Dallas Willard was a mentor to John Ortberg, who I started with a few uh, moments ago. John Ortberg was a mentor to John Mark Comer. How many of you know that name, John Mark Comer? He's sort of a young leader. Not that many of you. John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. It is a great book. Uh, it's a book. We've listened to it as a family. I've, I've gone through it a handful of different times, just rich with incredible things. I recommend a lot of books in my preaching and stuff. That would be one that I would say really highly uh, recommended, super impactful on this message and next week's message as well, putting credit where credit is due. Dallas Willard, who is no longer with us, he passed away, uh, as he is mentoring um, John Ortberg. John Ortberg was becoming relatively famous, sort of late 90s probably time. He's writing books. He's being well sought after. He's got a growing ministry. And yet he's beginning to feel like his heart is sort of getting pulled into the frenetic pace that the machine of ministry oftentimes can bring. So he's reaching out to Dallas Willard about this idea of discipleship and how to walk well with Jesus in the midst of this. So Dallas Willard, uh, who is also well celebrated, he's a theologian and an author, and you've probably read some of his books if you've got a, a, a library of Christian books. Um, he's talking about how to stay grounded in his walk with Jesus. And so after a pause, he says to John Ortberg, he says, well, write this down. You need to relentlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Some of you may also want to write that down, right? To walk with Jesus well. Relentlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So John Ortberg says, good. That resonates. He writes it down. Da, 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 da. Like, this is good. Good, good stuff. You know, keep it coming. And then he says, so, so what's, what's the next one? And he says, there is no next one. There is no next one. The great enemy of Christian discipleship, the great enemy of your Walking with Jesus is the tendency of your heart and your spirit to hurry and to get rushed. So now, you got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Listen to these first couple verses again. I find this very interesting. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Now, you, you could... You could surmise that Jesus could be talking about multiple different things, but then he immediately goes in to talk about finding rest for your soul. So let's at least assume that he's talking about that somewhat. You have hidden these things from the wise, from the learned. I say oftentimes, um, 
we have an amazing church family. I have a great privilege of speaking to people uh, each week when I'm up here speaking into your hearts and lives. But the thing, one of the things that strikes me about this particular congregation is that you guys are smart. Like, uh, there are times that I wonder, what in the world am I doing up here speaking to people that are PhDs and postdocs and leaders in your field and business owners? I mean, we have capable, uh, incredible leadership that are here, people who are deep in the Word of God, that are growing in, in their faith and all that kind of stuff. So it, it is a humbling experience, first of all, to do that. But here's the thing that's interesting, too. Many of you that I would say are very wise, uh, very smart, very intelligent, very learned, okay, Jesus says there's certain things that God says, I'm hiding that from the wise and the learned. And I'm revealing certain things to the childlike. So I started kind of dwelling on that a little bit. And I said, all right, Lord, what do we need to know about this? I started thinking a little bit about my schedule when I was a child. And I didn't really even have a schedule. How many of you had like a, a tight schedule as a child? You didn't, you didn't really. You, had, you kind of went where your parents told you to go when they told you. It's like, put your socks and shoes on and get in the car because we're going to go do this thing. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay, I'll show up. I mean, the schedule, especially when I think about like after school was over, you come home and you play and everything, the schedule was like dark and dinner. You know what I mean? When it gets dark, come in. Uh, when mom calls you for dinner or dad calls you for dinner, like, like come into the house. But I never remember in those wonderful childlike years of playing and doing the stuff that I was doing and building and exploring and all that kind of stuff, I never remember going like, okay, it's 3.48, I've got 47 minutes until I need to complete this fort that I'm building so that I can make sure that I get to the snake gathering to make sure that, you know what I mean? I just wasn't on that kind of schedule. It was just, you, you played until dark, you played until dinner. It was just this wider open thing. And so I began kind of relaying that and, and, and reflecting on that a little bit. This idea that Jesus would say, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a joy to being childlike. And, and I've actually found that statement to be true in other ways as well. The joy of being childlike, not childish. Childish and selfishness is actually something we got to fight against. But a childlike faith and spirit that says, hey, it's time to go. You know, I'm, I'm moving with him. Um, there's something very joyful about that. When we get hurried, something happens as we get older. We learn schedule. We learn time. We learn responsibility. All of which can be very good things for sure. But our souls can get very, very hurried. And I, I have a list of four things that I would say. I, th I really think you could add at least a dozen other things to this list. So please don't see this as exhaustive. But I want you to think about these few as we get started. Thinking about this problem side of hurry. And, and again, we all sort of feel it. We all sort of know that the problem is there. Like my soul feels too rushed. I'm just pushing a little too hard most of the time, right? So we know that it's there, but I think this week, if we can at least just identify it, do it a little business, maybe as we go through this, the Lord will give us grace to actually do better in the rhythms of Christ. Okay, so I'm rambling a little bit too much. That was too much of a setup. Here's a list of four things. Um, when you get hurried in your soul, there's a few things. We're, we're not as strong as we pretend to be. We're not as controlled as we need to be. We struggle to maintain proper attention 
And we cannot pray like it matters, which is the series of this, uh, of this uh, series, which is uh, the title of the series, which is why we're going to keep going after this. We're not as strong as we pretend to be. This, here's just a quick example. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Everything. He's got a book on Emotionally Healthy Everything. Emotionally Healthy Pet Raising probably will be his next thing. Emotionally Healthy spiritual, Spirituality and Discipleship and everything. It's great, great material. I love his writing. He uses this phrase in his most recent writing, uh, that he refers to called clatting, which I think is spelled C-L-A-T-T-I-N-G. And the idea is, how many of you know what that is or have heard of that? It has to do with like stonework. So if you're a stonemason and you're building this thing out of stone, big heavy stones that you would lug into place and kind of get set in this thing, you are probably building something on a foundation that's gonna last maybe 100 years, you know what I mean? Like, like genuine, big, deep, heavy stonework is not going anywhere anytime soon. Cladding is essentially the artwork of making something look like it is made of stone. So when you put a surface of stone on your house, or a veneer would be a word that we would use, if you do it really skillfully, it looks like, well, that thing is like, that's a stone thing, but it isn't. And this is the example that, that Peter Scazzaro is using, that a lot of times in our spiritual life, uh, especially with this idea of like a hurried soul, we try to patch together a deep, foundational, grounded walk with Jesus. The problem is, it's not actually really grounded. It's not actually really sturdy. So we can, I can look the part. You know, you can look the part and kind of come to the things and look, the, okay, I've got these things in place, but the foundation isn't there. And so what happens is when we come up against the spiritual battles or we come up against the storms of life, sort of the, the, the surety of the structure is revealed for what it is. When we live a hurried life, we're not as strong as we pretend to be. So that's that first little thing there. The second was we're not as controlled as we need to be. And this would be like when, when our emotions are just so full, and you've probably talked to people like this, or you've been in this place where you're just so full with emotion that something happens very small, somebody cuts you off or somebody insults you or whatever, and you just have this outpouring of like, blah, you know, like all of the anger comes out or all the frustration comes out. That's a hurried soul. Now, it could be any number of other things, but it's oftentimes a hurried soul that is going at a pace that is not controlled well. Uh, just to, to illustrate, we have a new driver in our home. I won't mention his name, but it's Grant. And he's uh, <laughs> doing a great job driving and everything, but when he was learning to drive, one of the things that, that I was sort of instructing him in is like there's a lot of scenarios that you can't see beyond this next bend or this next rise. You can't see exactly what the road does. You don't know if you, when you come around that, it's a little bit tight, is there gonna be a kid on a bike or something like that. So it's important that you don't overdrive your field of vision, you know? So like, you know, we talked about that. You know, it's the importance. There's times that you need to decelerate. And this is kind of what we're talking about in this point, that we are not as controlled as we need to be when we are just blasting ahead, full steam, full steam, full steam. We never stop, we never decelerate. And so then we find ourselves in situations that we, don't have had, we haven't had time. We're not as controlled as we need to be. We, we get anxious, we get frantic, et cetera. So that's number two. The, the third one is just this idea that we, we struggle to maintain proper attention. I'm gonna talk about this more next week, but um, this was something, I've read multiple articles on this over the last years of people saying that our attention span is like declining big time so that now, uh, the, the latest headlines over the last few years was that human beings have actually been surpassed in attention span by goldfish. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people picked up that article like, I think this is newsworthy. You know, like, like what does that say about the, pe the pace 
of your soul and your life and your schedule and the, and the distraction level in your life. That's what we're going to talk about more next week. What does that say about what is going on here and here when my attention span is so small that I can't even be with a goldfish? So we struggle to maintain proper attention. And how in the world do you pray, right? How in the world do you pray? How do you pray with any kind of persistency if, uh, if the attention span is so shrunken and shriveled and atrophied? So anyway, that, we'll talk about that more next time. Uh, and the, the fourth one is just that we cannot pray like it matters. This was another interesting mentor situation, but Walter Adams, he was a mentor to C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow and unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and it only spoils our work. It never advances it. So we can kind of understand this. Again, most of us, there's this a little bit of an intrinsic understanding that we, we have a problem with hurry. I do want to say as a sidebar, a little caveat, there are people, even in our congregation, depending on the phase of life that you're in, that you might say, actually, I'm kind of on the other side of the spectrum. My life right now feels a little empty. Uh, maybe even feels like I'm, I'm looking for some more. Maybe I'm dealing with loneliness and that's a very real thing, probably for another sermon. Um, but hurry, for the majority of us, is part of the problem. So Jesus gives us this better solution. And that's our second point we'll look at. Um, back to John Mark Comer, he said, The solution is not more time. And for the hurried soul, that it would just simply be more ammunition for self-inflicted pain. Because we're, we're already not managing the time that we have super well. So this lament of, oh, if I just had more time, I would mess up more time. And you probably would too. We need a better solution than that. Uh, though it is very much in style to write on the importance of things like essentialism, focus, discipline, it's not, this is not new news this is what Jesus' followers have actually heard, even those that have struggled, like many of us do, to live out for the last 2,000 years. This is the best news for a hurried soul, and I want you to hear it with fresh ears. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If today, if today, you came into church doing some fellowshipping and hanging out and talking with people. We sang some songs um, that were fun and exciting and different with some stringed instruments. Uh, my favorite part, incidentally, was watching Quint lead us in that, you know, little, his little, he's 11, by the way, 11, next generation. I love that. Um, we can say, yeah, that's awesome. Next generation. But what if in the midst of all of the stuff and the things that we did and that we do and the things that we will do afterwards, if, if we heard the voice of the Savior saying to us, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a better solution. How many of you would say, I'll take that? <laughs> Lord, yeah, don't pass me by, I'll take that. The yoke of Jesus in a literal application, you think of two oxen walking together, not one in front of the other, together. They're shouldering a load together. The non-literal yoke of Jesus or any rabbi, for that matter, was the teaching that they would give. It's how to live. How do you find God? How do you find meaning? And here's Jesus saying something very revealing. He says in his self-described definition that he has an easy yoke for his apprentices. 
So to walk with Jesus was to keep in step with Him. It is to learn from it. It is to find restoration and recovery of the soul. It, is, it includes the healing of the deepest parts of the being. So when Jesus says things like John 10, I have come that they would have life and life to the full. Like my, my initial like interpretation of that is always kind of like, oh, there's, there's like stuff, you know, there's like good things of, of Christ. And, and there are good things of Christ. But I wonder if for a lot of us, he was just say, I'm gonna, come, I'm gonna teach you the abundant life that is full with things like rest and good pace and partnership with him, the yoke of Jesus. When we talk about words like burnout, other authors have said things like this. Burnout is, have, is trying to give something that you don't have. That's why we feel frenetic. We don't, we don't have the, the quiet and the rest and the prayer and the, 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 the fullness of his presence. We're just trying to fulfill the mission. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, our mistake is to think that in following, that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, and all of those things are very true. But he says, but while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does, it's a strategy bound to fail to make the way of Christ seem difficult and left untried. This week, I would simply ask you, a very simple ask, to just allow the Holy Spirit to do some evaluative work in your heart and say, is my heart and my soul too hurried? If the answer to that is yes, we're gonna look at sort of the pace of Christ and the, the process of Christ. What did Jesus do in solitude and in Sabbath and in silence? What was it that he actually did? I wanna unpack that next week. Let this week just be evaluating where you are. Every system the business world says is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. So back to John Mark Comer, he says, if the results you are getting are lousy, anxiety at a simmer, mild depression, high levels of stress, chronic emotional burnout, little to no sense of the presence of God, and inability to focus your mind on the things that make for life, then the odds are very good that some things about the system in your life is off kilter. And here's the beauty. That instead of giving us an escape, Jesus gives us tools for life. Bearing the weight of our humanity like two oxen in a field tied together with Jesus doing the heavy lifting at his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy and peace. So I'm gonna give you one last thing. We're gonna do it real quickly as we get ready for the communion table. The last point that I wanna make to you today is in this idea of the stillness is that there is power in the waiting, right? The, so, you know, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't go, wait for the promise of the, of the Spirit. All that, that was what Jesus told his disciples. But you actually see this really showing up all throughout Scripture. I'm just gonna give you an overview. You can read these passages later or read them this week even for some of your devotional practice as you're being still and being quiet. I would encourage you to do that. I'm not gonna expound on them deeply. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God, right? When you look at a variety of scriptural examples, it just starts to jump off the page. I'll, I'll show you three right here. And again, these you can, you can read these later. Moses 
is uh, facing the Egyptian army, he, he says to the Israelites this. He says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never, today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And if you think, well, that's just a kind of a fluky thing that happens to line up with uh, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. I would take you to Hezekiah being delivered from the Assyrian army in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Again, you read it. He's terrified. He's praying, God, what am I going to do against this army that is mocking me, that is coming against? Like, they are eating up everybody in their path, and now they are at our doorstep. We don't know what to do. The encouragement is you need to not fight. You need to be still and see what God will do. The angel of the Lord, it says the next morning, goes out and wipes out. 185,000 of the enemy people and the enemy king says I think we're done here we're going to go and God says you need to be still and you're going to find a power in the stillness that is beyond you Jehoshaphat almost the same kind of story Um, in 2nd Chronicles 20 this time it's the Moabites and the Amorites that they're coming against him and the message is this you're not going to have to fight this battle This is the prophetic word to Jehoshaphat. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out, face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. They go out to face them the next day and there's actually no army left because they've, they've defeated themselves, essentially. What is going on with this? Be still and know that I am God. In that same psalm, It says, come behold the works of the Lord. Like a hurried soul can't get this. You run by it. It's too too fast paced. Come behold the works of the Lord. Psalm 46 says this. The Lord of hosts is with us. And I'm asking myself the question, then when you think about what happens, this, all these are Old Testament examples. You fast forward to the New Testament where Jesus comes, the, God comes in the form of a little baby, and now here the people are, behold, the Lord of hosts is with us. Look at what he has done. And if you know the gospel and you know what the the point of God coming to this earth is all about. It's all about saying, this is not so that you can get busy and crazy. This is so you wait on what this one is going to do. And then if you fast forward to the death of Jesus, you see, come behold the works of the Lord. The Lord of hosts is with us. And you're still not fighting. And you're still not striving. And your biggest sin stuff and your secret sin stuff and all of your hardship and all of the spiritual battle that you face is being dealt with as you stand by and behold the works of the Lord. Like, when you come to the communion table in like minutes, what a privilege, what a way to come in to say, behold the works of the Lord. The Lord is with us. Be still and know that I am God. And for many of us, it's the first stillness we've had in a long time. But that's the invitation. I love that. So we're going to do communion now. And uh, the way we do it is, is really very simple. We, have, uh, we call it intinction. It's that you, you rip off the bread and you dip it in the cup.
And uh, if you're a believer in Christ today, you're welcome to do it. It doesn't matter what your church background is or anything. Come to the communion table. Remember what Christ has done for you. Find an opportunity right, right now to be still and to know what he's done. Find an opportunity for your soul to be resting in his finished work. Uh, if the intinction, ripping and dipping, is uh, a little too handsy for you, we actually have the, the two cups. It's a stacked cup uh, that has the, the, the wafer on the bottom and the cup to there. And so you can actually come forward um, as the worship team leads us. They're going to come out and do that in just a moment. We have a few folks who are attending the tables, and you guys can come and get in place at this time as well. Um, and um, so when you're ready, you can come forward. If you're not yet a, a believer in Christ, you've never made a commitment of faith to Jesus, um, Scripture says don't take communion because you're essentially acknowledging a sacrifice that you haven't yet received. Um, but we don't say that as a prohibition. We actually say that as an invitation. Let today be the day you say, I received the finished work of Jesus for me. I confess my sin before him. Uh, I recognize the, the heart work that I need. Again, this is stuff that happens when you can be still. If you're not still, it's hard to get this. I'm going to acknowledge that before Christ. I'm going to receive his finished work on my behalf, and I'm going to go to the communion table. And you're welcome to do that and celebrate that today. Um, Scripture tells us the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when the Lord, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is Jesus, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a great way for us to celebrate what the Lord has already done as we come to the communion table. So I'd like you to stand if you would. Um, this, this will be your time. You can take as much time as you want to, to listen and to be still, do business with the Lord. I just want to bless you, and then you get your heart ready for the communion table. Jesus, we are grateful today for your presence. We're grateful, Lord, for the pace that you call us to. I just sort of sense the Holy Spirit saying, just breathe deeply. Just relax. Just rest. Help us to do that well at the communion table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.